Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. So, welcome everyone. Uh, What I wanted to share with you tonight was some of the benefits of spiritual development. Uh, The benefits that we receive from God when we spiritually grow and develop and come to an age of maturity in the Lord. The Bible compares spiritual development to physical and natural development. Uh, there are similarities, not the same, but similarities. So just as we develop mentally and physically, we must also grow and develop spiritually. When we get born again, we are like little children. The Bible calls us little children. Peter says, as little children desire the sincere milk of the word, which is able to feed you, to grow you, to nurture you. So, we see a lot of similarities. And the Bible speaks of the three stages of our spiritual development. Can anyone, besides Peter, because I asked Peter earlier on, (laughs) can anyone name those three spiritual stages uh, of the Christian life? Anyone? Sorry? Yeah, uh, the babies get milk. Adults get meat, but there is a place where the Apostle John lists the three stages of our spiritual development. 1 John chapter 2 talks about little children, then he talks about young men, then he talks about fathers. The little children, all they know is that their sins are forgiven. That's it. They're born again, the sins are forgiven. Young men, the apostle says that the young men are strong because the word of God abides in them and they have overcome the wicked one. And then he talks about the fathers that have the knowledge, the wisdom, and the experience of the length of time they have walked with God. So those are the three stages. So I want to share with you what happens or the benefits when we spiritually develop or mature in the things of God or the things of the Spirit. Spiritually developed people can face any situation that may come to them, hostile or not, any crisis, whether it's small or great, and still are able to overcome and triumph in those crises. Now, they do that because somehow they have learned by faith to tap into the resurrected life of Christ that indwells them. Remember what the Bible says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. So they have learned by practice and through faith not to rely on their own abilities or strength or wisdom but they've learned to tap into the grace of God and receive the strength that they need to face and overcome the situation that confronts them. That's the difference, because they have grown and matured spiritually. They have, Paul, you you know, Paul sums it up in such beautiful words. So I'm going to read Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. But I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation because it gives such a simple uh, understanding of what I'm talking about. Paul says, For I am trained in the secret of overcoming all things. He calls that a secret because not many know it. And he says, I am trained in the secret of overcoming all things whether in fullness or in hunger. And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. 
That's what we're talking about. And he talks about how he triumphs, even though he faces so much persecution, so much ridicule. Once they stoned him almost to death, he was shipwrecked. Wherever he went, it seems like the devil uh, stirred up whole persecution and and ridicule and chase him out of the city. All of those things, he said, even though he was facing them, he says, through the grace of God, I have managed to overcome. And at the end of his life, he talks about, and God has delivered me from every evil work. This is the language of one who has overcome, not a defeated attitude, not a complaining attitude. And he gives thanks to God for his grace, which he says, his, his grace is sufficient for me. And the secret is that he learned to draw strength from the grace within. And that's how he overcame. Now, when believers mature in the spirit, they have a spiritual fortitude on the inner man. They might be uh, frail physically, but inside they are very strong. They have a fortitude that enables them to withstand adversity and all kinds of opposition. And, and, that, is, and that is something that we all need to strive towards. That's why Paul prays for the believers and he says, I pray that you may be strengthened by his spirit in your inner man. There's an inner man, there's an outward man. Some have built their bodies and the muscles because they have exercised, but inside they're spiritually weak. So every little thing that, uh, that faces them, they collapse, they falter, they faint, they get disappointed, they get discouraged. But a spiritually fortified person can face any adversity in the face and overcome it. And that's, that's the blessing of being spiritually immature. The reason that they have this spiritual fortitude within them is because they have closely followed the Lord day after day, week after week, month after month, and they have invested consistently in their spiritual welfare by giving priority to the things of God. That's the secret. They are consistent in the walk with God. They're not one day in, one day out, one day up, one day down, one day hot, another day cold. They consistently followed the Lord, obeying his word and investing consistently into their spiritual welfare by giving priority to the things of God. They have also not allowed themselves, according to the Bible, to be distracted by the cares of this life. And that's one of our greatest temptations, living in this world, having to face and deal with the cares, the worries, the anxieties, the responsibilities that is placed upon us. And so they've not allowed themselves to be distracted by the cares of this life because they've kept the focus on the things which are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Listen to how beautifully Paul uh, place or says that to the Colossians. He writes to the Colossians and in chapter 3 he says to them, If you were raised with Christ, in other words, if you're born again, Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind or your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. You see, they might be going about doing the work and the daily responsibilities of life, but the focus and the mind is set on spiritual things things that are above. What is above? The Word of God, the love of God, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, kindness, gentleness, and all of those things. They focus. They are so determined and so disciplined, so they keep the mind on the things that are above because they see further 
than this natural physical world. They understand that this world is temporary, that we have maximum 80, 90 years, but after that we leave this world. So the mind is on eternity, on the things that are above, the things that are of real value. In other words, they place value where there is real value from eternity's perspective. So often we humans value things that in the eyes of God don't have that importance. And we need to learn to value what God values. And that's what mature uh, believers do. They value what God values. They value people. They value relationships. They value the word of God. They value the institution of marriage. They value family. All of those things are the values of the kingdom of God. And so these spiritually developed believers are not just hearers and readers of the word. But they are doers of the word. And that's the difference. It's not enough to read the word. And it's not enough to hear it. Thank God for that. But the real blessing is in the doing. Is in doing what you know to do. Doing what God wants you to do. So in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, Jesus gives us a teaching on the two foundations on which we can build our lives and our future. And I'm sure this is a very familiar portion of scripture and I'm going to read it uh, so you have your Bibles you can follow me but I'm reading from the Passion Translation Matthew seven twenty four says Jesus is teaching now and he says everyone who hears my teaching and applies it to his life can be compared to a wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation when the rains fell and the flood came and fierce winds beating upon his house, it stood firm because of its strong foundation. But everyone who hears my teaching and does not apply it to his life can be compared to a foolish man who built his house on sand. And when it rained and rained and the flood came with wind and waves beating upon his house, it collapsed. And it was swept away. Now, according to Jesus' words, what caused the collapse of the second house was not the storm, was not the rain, was not the flood, but it was the foundation upon which the house was built. Sometimes <laughs> uh, people think that what comes on the outside is what defeats us. But that's not what the Bible says. What defeats us is what's on the inside of us. And what foundation are we building? So there was weakness in the foundation. And as a result, it collapsed. So we draw the conclusion then that when we choose to build our lives on the foundation of worldly wisdom and the opinions of men rather than obedience to the word of God, and the values of his kingdom, we will experience the same fate as the one who built his house on the sand. Would you agree with that? The only foundation that will stand in any storm, in any trial of life, is the one that is built on hearing the word of God and obeying it. That's the only foundation that will stand. Because the storms of life will come on every person, whether you're a believer or not. It doesn't matter whether you believe or not. The storms of life will surely come. So it's wise to build before the storm. It's foolish to try and build your house in hurricane time. So that's why Jesus here is giving us eternal wisdom to build our lives, to build our future, and to build uh, our children on. Build on the foundation of the Word of God. Now, I want to share with you um, an encounter that I had with the Lord back in 2002 that changed the whole course of my ministry. 
In 2002, I was in the state of Florida in the United States for the purpose of ministry. So early one morning in prayer, I had an encounter with the Lord, which the Spirit took me uh, into a large valley, huge valley. As I approached that valley in a vision, I could clearly see that every house in that valley was severely damaged. Roofs were blown away. Walls were caved in. Foundations were uncovered. It was dreadful. The vision I saw was very similar to the pictures we often see on television when a hurricane has gone through a region or a city leaving behind destruction. That's what it looked like. It was a picture of total destruction. As I looked upon this valley in the spirit, now I'm in the spirit and I'm, I'm seeing things, not with my natural eyes, but with my eyes of my spirit. I asked the Lord to explain to me what he was showing me. What does this mean? What are these houses which are demolished? And then the, the Lord spoke clearly and he said, son, the houses that you see represent individuals, families, organizations, and churches. Because they were not built on biblical foundations or specifications, they could not survive the storm that hit them. Therefore, he said, the day will come. That was 2002. When I will send you to these individuals, families, organizations, churches, in order to help restore them by teaching them to build on the foundation of biblical values. Not only that, he said, I will bless you with a team of spiritual sons and daughters who are mentored, discipled by you, who will help you do the same in their spheres of influence. Every one of us has a sphere of influence. Whether you are in the marketplace, in business, or in ministry, there are people, and broken people, broken lives, broken families. If you are trained adequately, you will help to restore them. And that's what God expects from every believer, whether uh, you are a young believer or an older believer. In other words, you, you, you take care of the people that you associate with. So <clears throat> years have passed since that day, but I have never forgotten the impact of that blessed encounter I had with the Lord that morning. And now, as I look around me, I'm surrounded by a team of sons and daughters who have been personally discipled and mentored by my side, and they are helping me to restore precious lives, both here and abroad, that have been ravaged by the storms of life. And it's a privilege. It's an honor. My, the main thrust of my ministry is restoration, to restore broken lives. That's what Jesus came to do. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to heal and restore the brokenhearted. This morning, we were in church. I enjoyed the worship. At one particular moment during the worship, the Spirit of God fell upon me and I started weeping. I prayed, Lord, break my heart for those who are broken. Unless you sense compassion, for the brokenness of people, God cannot use you or anoint you to help restore them. And we need our hearts to feel what they feel, to identify what they're going through, to have our hearts broken in prayer, and to understand the pain so that you can minister to them effectively. And so, the way we restore these precious lives is, first of all, by teaching them the uncompromised Word of God. Psalm 107, verse 20 says, God sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. God uses words. 
The tools of my trade are words, just like a mechanic uses his wrenches. And when God wants to heal somebody, the first thing he does, he sends his word. And when his word is received and applied in our lives, we see the healing, the restoration taking place. That's God's method. So if I'm going to help restore people, I have to give them what God gives them. And that's the uncompromised word of God. And Paul, and Paul writes to Timothy and he says, when you teach the word, you must divide the word of God rightly or accurately. In other words, correctly explaining the word of God. Not taking a verse of scripture and making a doctrine out of it. But understanding the entire context of what God wants to say and communicating the thoughts and the ways of God. So very often what we do is just pull out some scripture and we make a doctrine out of it. And that's not what God wants. That's why he says to Timothy, you must correctly explain the word of God. So in addition to the teaching, as much as we can, our ministry, we provide pastoral care, prayer, and we relationally walk with those whom God has given us in order to mentor and disciple them. When I saw that crowd this morning in church, packed to capacity, my heart, Lord, are they disciples? Are they, every one of them, really shepherded? Do they have a shepherd or they just have a church that they go to on a Sunday morning? You know, it's not enough. You can't disciple people from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, a 20-minute sermon. You have to walk with them. That's what a shepherd does. He walks with you. And he holds your hand, so to speak, in the spirit. He listens to you. He prays for you. He encourages one-to-one. He knows you intimately, not just as a number on a Sunday morning. And that's what my heart aches. We have churches that are packed with people, but they are disconnected, isolated, not having anyone spiritually mature to talk to when a crisis hits. And it's terrible. It shouldn't be this way. I'd rather have 10 people in my church, and I know they are well taken care of, than have a 1,000, and I don't know who they are or where they are in their lives. And that's the heart of God, folks. So, the knowledge of God's Word we impart through teaching, coupled with pastoral care and relational discipleship, helps believers to grow spiritually and develop in the things of God. They will be able, of course, to establish a foundation, spiritual foundation beneath their feet, that will carry them into the God-given destiny. Because every one of you, every one of us, has a call from God and a divine destiny. In order for us to fulfill that destiny or God-given purpose that is given us, we have to spiritually grow up and mature. You don't send children to war. You send trained men to fight the battles. And so when God calls you, He equips you as well, but you have to go through the stages of preparation, which we will get to it in a moment. You see, the storms of life, as I've said, will come to everyone, whether you're a believer or not, black or white, regardless of your age. What will enable us to stand in the day of adversity is the foundation upon which we choose to build our lives and our future. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 24, gives us wisdom here. Listen carefully to these verses. Uh, The Lord pointed me to this verse of Scripture many times. He says, if you faint or falter in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. So here, here's the lesson we need to learn. Adversity is not not wrong. Crisis is the measuring stick 
by which we measure our spiritual fortitude. You know, for example, you, you, you produce water tanks. Don't you test them before you send them to the, to the buyer, whether they can hold, whether they don't have any defects or holes in. Every product, before it reaches the market, it must be put into the test. You don't want to sell defected product or else you're going to go down the drain as a business. So when crisis and adversity hits, it's like a measuring stick that measures the level of your spiritual fortitude. You see that? They are the means by which we measure the strength or the weakness of our inner man. So what you carry on the inside determines whether you will overcome or you will be defeated. So if adversity comes and you falter and you fall, stop and say, Lord, I need to grow. Help me and pray along those lines that he may strengthen you in the inner man. And as I said before, nothing that comes from the outside, no storm, no test, no trial can defeat us. What defeats us is what we carry on the inside of us. If we are filled with the faith of God and rooted, according to Apostle Paul, in the love of God, we become undefeated and indestructible. Paul describes this in his epistle to the believers in Rome, and he says in Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, is this the words of a defeated man? Definitely not. This is the words of a man who has conquered every test and every trial that devil threw at him. You know, why do tests and trials come? Listen, we live in a hostile world. We live in an ungodly world, hates God, hates us. We are in the enemy's territory. The Bible calls the devil the God of this world. He has authority in this physical world. So we need to understand that. It's not going to be all rosy. They, there will be tests and trials. Now, what are we conquerors of? He goes on to list some of these things that we conquer. And he says, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and even death. He lists those in Romans 8.35. I would say with confidence that many believers who attend churches on a weekly basis, week after week, are unable to stand in the day of adversity. And the reason being, the level of the knowledge of the word of God they possess is shallow. It's not deep. Now, Here's a scripture that answered many of my questions. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Do you remember that verse, Tom? Huh? I remember you mentioning it. I can't quote it. Do you know what it says, Trish? I think it's people will perish with a lack of knowledge. That's right. This answered to me a lot of questions. Listen to what God says. My people. He's not talking about unbelievers or the worldly people. He says, my people, talking about Christians, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Wow. You see, ignorance is the mightiest weapon of the devil against you. What you don't know can destroy you. And then he goes on to say, because you have rejected knowledge... I will also reject you from being priest unto me. You see, our ignorance where spiritual laws are concerned is the main weapon of the destroyer. You see, let me explain it this way. God created the physical, the natural, and the spiritual world. And he set laws in motion. Why? So that divine order is kept. Where God's presence is, there's order. For example, he set in motion the law of gravity. Why? So, so that you would not stand on your head. So that things would be kept uh, 
uh, standing, how can I put it, glued to the earth, that we're not upside down. Now, you may believe in the law of gravity or you may not believe in the law of gravity, but whether you believe it or not, it will work. And if you don't believe me, get up on the roof of some tall building and jump and see that the law of gravity will work. For example, let me give you another example. We have rules and laws where tr the flow of traffic is concerned, right? You keep the rules in order to maintain order on the road. How many people have lost their lives because they ignored those laws? The same thing takes place in the spiritual realm. And very often we ignore those spiritual laws that God set in motion and things happen. But is it God's fault? No, it's our ignorance. The law of electricity. You go and touch a live wire and see what happens. So there are laws that God has set in motion and we have to find out what those laws are. For example, the Bible says in Proverbs 18 verse 21 that the law of life and death is in the power of the tongue. How often have I said to you, Tom, say to I'm getting off this wheelchair. I'm not staying in this wheelchair. God is my witness and my helper. I will get off this wheelchair. When you speak those words, you set in motion a spiritual law. For Jesus said, you can have what you say if what you say you believe from your heart. So listen, that's a law. It will work for whosoever, Jesus said. So keep saying to yourself, keep saying to, to Meg, Meg, I'm going to get off this wheelchair. Come what may, God is my helper, I'm going to get off this wheelchair. God will honor those words that you speak by faith. Remember what the centurion said? He, he, he came to Jesus asking for help for his servant who was paralyzed. And he said, Lord, come and heal. And Jesus said, uh, I will come and heal him. And the centurion said, no, Lord, you don't have to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. You know what Jesus did? He marveled at this man's faith. This centurion understood the law of words, especially the words that are spoken by the Lord Jesus. These are spiritual laws, and there are more. I can't go into them now because the direction we're going is, uh, is, is in another direction. So, our ignorance where these spiritual laws are concerned is the main weapon of the destroyer. If your words have power, and when you release those words, they resound in the world of the Spirit. How many times believers, even though they heard the message, they would say things, oh, I'm scared to death. I'm not going to make it. I feel so weak and so powerless. What they don't realize is they set the trap by the wrong words of their mouth. Study the Bible when it comes to the law of words and you'll see what the Bible says. So, so often... Here's another mistake we make. We overestimate our strength or our abilities. We think we're stronger than what we really are. So when adversity hits, though, and we stumble, we realize, oh, oh, well, I, I'm not that strong as I thought I was. You see, we assume things. Assuming is a dangerous thing. Now, we realize when that happens, that the knowledge of God's word we possess is shallow, is not sufficient. If that's the case, there's nothing wrong to, to say, okay, I've got to do something about this. And concentrate on the areas that you are spiritually weak in. Many years ago, when I sensed the call of God in my life to preach the gospel, I wanted to just, I had so much zeal, but no wisdom. And I wanted to just get out there and get on with it. But every time I prayed about it, I felt a check in my spirit. A red light telling me, mm -mm, 
don't go, don't proceed. Not only that, but the Lord spoke directly to me and he pointed me, and that's how God speaks so often, to a portion of scripture, which I'm going to read now. And this particular verse of scripture that God used, he gave me wisdom and counsel on what to do. Here it is, Luke 14, 28. He says, for which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. The question which was put to me by the Spirit was this, do you have sufficient determination, faith, perseverance to finish what you intend to start? What are you going to do when they start persecuting you? And surely they did. What are you, how are you going to stand when they say all these horrible things about you, they put your name in the papers and all of that? Will you have, he said, sufficient faith to stand in the face of ridicule, persecution, because you will face such things when you bring the gospel to the Greek people. They will persecute you, and surely they did. You know what? When, when those questions were put to me, I could not answer with confidence uh, that, yes, I have that. I, I, I knew I didn't have that kind of strength or that kind of faith or determination. I needed to grow and develop spiritually before the Lord would release me with his blessing into my destiny, into the call of God of my life. Now listen, and he gave me wisdom what to do. For the next probably three years, I immersed myself literally into the word of God and prayer. I built an office in my supermarket upstairs in the upper level. And there I spent my days in hearing, learning the word of God, while at the same time from up there I could oversee what was going on in the supermarket. Despite my wife's objections, I must add. They're robbing you blind. I said, they're not robbing me. I'm watching. You see, when I knew the call of God, I had a choice to make. Everyone in my family was a businessman. They were doing well. They had one shop, two shops. They were making money. They were in the marketplace. Nothing wrong with that. But I felt God didn't call me to that. He called me into the ministry. So I had to make a decision to go that route. Despite my in-laws' objections and all of those things, I heard the voice of God and nothing would deter me from that. So, for the at the end of those three years, the release came from the Lord, now listen carefully, as well as from my then pastor, who he laid hands on me and he released me into the ministry that I'm still functioning today. I have been running and preaching since 1983, preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom all over, facing persecutions from my countrymen and ultimately excommunication. None of these things, though, moved me or shifted my purpose. Why? Because the foundation beneath my feet was solid and strong in the Word of God. So here, so many of God's dear children, and I've seen it in business as well, they assume or overestimate themselves. And they launch out and they start something. Because they sense, it might be the call of God, but they're not ready yet, but they don't know that. And in the, in the process, they come to a situation where they fail. Don't have enough to carry it through. So often it happens in business. You don't have enough cash flow, you, you won't survive. And so many young business go down because they don't sit down first to count what it's going to cost me and do proper planning and wise planning. And that's what happens, you see. And now, <laughs> so uh, 
when they fail, here's the thing. They come up with all sorts of excuses. It's the economy. It's this. It's that. But they don't realize that the one thing I'm teaching on. They were not ready. They didn't have the backup or the support or someone behind them that will help them. They just launched out. So, don't ever underestimate or undervalue the process and the duration that God takes you through to prepare you and to train you and to take you through what you need to go through and learn because that's vitally important. Jesus took 30 years of training and preparation and three years of ministry. Now, we want to take three, three years of preparation and a lifetime of work. It doesn't work that way. The years of preparation is the most important years of your life. And we need to understand that. The greater the call of God on your life, the, the stronger or uh, the bigger the preparation needs to be done. So it's very important. So don't underestimate or undervalue the process and the duration of preparation because God knows what you need to finish the work he's given you to do. You might not know, but he knows, and he knows how to train you and how long to train you for. Now, whatever your calling or your assignment in life is, whatever you call to function and to work, know that without the adequate preparation in the Word, you will not succeed in fulfilling your destiny. And that's just as plain as I can put it. And without the knowledge of God's Word, you will fail. Even, even in the most ordinary tasks. Here is another verse of Scripture that has blessed me through the years. That's why when, when somebody asks me, Pastor, what can I pray for you? I always tell them three things. Pray for wisdom, for knowledge, and understanding. If I have those three, I'm okay. I don't need anything else. Everything else will just come. Here it is. And what do I base my answer? It's, it's written in Proverbs 24, verse 3. Through wisdom, he says, a house is built. You want to build your house, you want to build a family, you want to build a business, you want to build a future, you've got to have the wisdom of God. Without it, you will fail. And then he goes, by understanding it is established, and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Now the Passion says it more clearly. He says, wise people are builders. They build families, businesses, communities. And through intelligence and insight, their enterprises are established and they endure for generations. Because of the skilled leadership, the hearts of people are filled with the treasures of wisdom and the pleasures of spiritual wealth. You see, what we need is wisdom, knowledge and understanding. And all of these three things that are the most valuable resources or commodities in the universe. There's nothing more valuable than this. More valuable than gold and silver and riches and honor. Whatever you can think of. Nothing is more valuable than these three uh, commodities. Wisdom, knowledge and understanding. Now, all these three are found in the word of God. Nowhere else. So you've got to dig deep. Gold is not found on the surface. They dig. The more you dig, the more you study, the more you meditate, the greater the wisdom and the knowledge that you will receive. Now, in finishing, let me give you three main enemies of your spiritual development, uh, uh, which we will have to resist and overcome if we are going to succeed in our spiritual education. Here they are. Jesus lists them in the Gospel of Mark. They are the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. What do these do? When you allow cares, anxieties of this life to enter your heart, they come in, he says, and they choke the word of God. 
and the word becomes unfruitful. And this is where many, uh, many just cannot manage these. They are the enemies of our faith, and if not resisted, what they do is they take our focus away from the things of God, or distract us from investing in our spiritual development and preparation. They take your focus away. And these are the things that when I was being trained, I had to resist every day before I could continue in my preparation. Paul says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. What does he mean? For every soldier, he says, called to active duty must divorce himself from the distractions of this world. So, what we all need as soldiers of the Lord is the Word of God and a competent coach who will, like a spiritual mentor, who will invest in our spiritual development. Look at the great athletes. They don't achieve greatness. They work hard and they have, all of them have one thing in common. They have competent coaches and they listen to the coach. You're going to bed at 8 o'clock. Not at 11. You're not going to eat that. You're going to eat this. Because if you eat that, you, you, you cannot perform as you ought. When it comes to the spiritual things, the same things apply, folks. I cannot stress this enough. But anyway, no nation will send its soldiers to battle without adequate preparation. That's foolishness. And lastly, an example. Take... For example, the men and women who sense the calling to become doctors, nurses, engineers, school teachers, and many other professions in life. Just think of the years they, they spend, the resources they spend in their education, in their training for their calling, and the hard work they put into their studies and the practical training they receive from their instructors. Now, what makes us think that we can have a successful marriage, obedient children, be financially sound, and be able to manage what God has entrusted to us and fulfill the call of God in our lives without proper training and education in the things of God? And yet, many believers don't understand that. Do you see it? How many years did you study, Tom? You studied from grade one. How many years did you study as an engineer? You got your master's, uh, Peter? Well, that's natural law, right? But there are spiritual laws that apply to our spiritual training and education. God called you to do great things on this earth. But you cannot do them without the proper training. Amen. All right. So, and I'm closing. Sorry. Is that okay? Can I last five minutes? Here we come. My mission in life. If you ever wonder. What's your mission? What's your vision? Here it is. Is to pour my life, my, my experiences, the things that I've learned, the values of the kingdom of God into young men and women who are willing to be mentored, relationally discipled for kingdom growth and expansion as they step into their destiny. And for that purpose, I travel I teach, I visit my flock, I counsel and shepherd them, and through relational discipleship, they are raised up in the Lord so they can do what God has called them to do in their spheres of influence. And by doing that, together we are extending the influence of God's kingdom. A young man came to our church some years ago, sat next to me in our gatherings. As a result of caring enough to invest into his life and get involved in the affairs of his life, he has never been the same again.
His name is Siobhan. He sat next to me. Hi, Siobhan. How old are you? 21, Pastor. What are you doing? He says, nothing. He said, have you finished your school? Yes. But what are you doing now? I'm staying with my mother. Who looks after you? He says, my mother. So you're 21 years old and your mother looks after you. He said, yes. I said, listen, it's Wednesday today. When I see you next, you better have a job. He left that meeting, he later told me. He said, no one has ever spoken to me like that. He was without a father, was an orphan. His father abandoned him when he was young. He said, when you spoke, I, I heard the voice of a father. He prayed all night almost. Come Monday, he got a job. A few months have passed. We went on a men's camp. You remember, Peter? He sat next to me again. I forgot I asked him the same question the last time. Hi, Siobhan. How old are you? He said, Pastor, I told you. I said, okay. You got a job? Yes, I'm happy. What do you want to do in life? He says, I want to be a pastor. I said, you do? He said, yes. I, I have this desire. I, I want to serve God. I said, what are you doing about it? He said, nothing. I said, you're going to be a pastor. You need training. We have a Bible school. He says, come and enroll the Bible school. He said, I don't have the money. I said, you go and I'll sponsor you. And for three years, he finished his Bible. I sponsored him and now he's writing his fourth year. Later on, I called him and I said, you come work for the Lord here in our church. His life has never been the same again. Why? Because I took an interest in a young man's life. And that's what we're talking about, folks. When you care, you find ways to help somebody. So, whatever sphere of God God called you, you have people who are desperately need your help, your care, and your love. Don't ignore them. Love them enough to invest in their lives. Not just in word, but also being an example of a true Christian. And you don't have to be a pastor to do this. Anyone can do this. As long as you have the care of God in our hearts. Let's not just wrap ourselves up in our own immediate families, our own cares, our own problems, and we cannot see any further than that. There is a world out there that is hurting and broken, and they need someone who would identify them as human beings and love them enough to do something about it. Father, we thank you for your word tonight and we thank you for your precious anointing. Lord, we open our hearts to you. Just like the potter in the hands or the pot in the hands of a potter. Have your way with us, Lord. Mold us, shape us, train us and help us to fulfill your divine pleasure. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.